and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. Ahmed Farouk has been the CFO of Wesleyan Assurance for five years. He talks openly about his experience of being an ethnic minority leader in the workplace, about Ramadan, the vulnerability of being curious about other people and the discomfort of having honest and transparent conversations about race and diversity. Have a listen. Hi, Ahmed. Thanks for joining me today. Tell me who you are and what you do. Morning, Jude. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Ahmed Farouk, and I'm the Chief Financial Officer of Wesleyan Assurance Society, which is an organisation headquartered in Birmingham, approximately 1,800 employees nationwide, we're a financial services business that primarily provides financial advice and products to doctors, teachers, dentists, lawyers. So what drew you to be a CFO? Um, I think from a very early age, when even when I was at college, I always thought I wanted to work in business. Um, and pursuing a career in finance for me was a was a very good gateway to pursue a career in business whether and primarily for me I've always wanted to work in large organizations because I've always thought they provide change and variety of opportunity so tending to be a bit of a jack of all trades as opposed to a master of one um, so I've only actually had three employers since leaving university 20 plus years ago now uh, but re- with each of those employers I was very quickly moved on into a different role, perhaps every 12 to 18 months, apart from the last position to be a CFO. And and being a CFO enables me to not be a finance director who only looks at finance, but enables you to have a broader spectrum to be able to influence and advise on business strategy and business operations. Mm -hmm. So that's what drew me to be a CFO. Um, But what I actually enjoy most is working with people. And I know that's a cliche that you've probably heard a thousand times, but I enjoy working in teams, working with people and actually seeing people uh, develop and be better. That's a real passion of mine. And that's that's unusual, if I can say so, in a CFO, because, you know, we tend to, there's a tendency to think about the CFO is only interested in the numbers and not interested in the people. So tell, tell me more it, about that. Uh, it, it's amazing you say that because if I had a pound for every time someone said that to me, I'd probably be a very rich man. The people have said that to me. Actually, you you tend to be CFOs tend to be very functional, controlling the profit and loss account and the balance sheet, controlling the finances, and absolutely that is a core part of my job, hundred percent. If you don't get the basics right, then mm-hmm. there's no point of you being a CFO. But in addition to that, you need to be an influential leader and you need to be an influential advisor. Mm. And also sometimes you need to be uh, the person in the room who says no, mm. which sometimes means actually you're the only one who's saying no, uh, but you need to stand your ground and look at whatever's being presented to you, not just from a financial lens, but from a wider lens. What impact does it have on our people? What impact does it have on our customers? What impact does it have mm. on society? What's the reputational risk of 
doing such an action. Um, because all of those things affect the numbers anyway, don't they? And I think if you're only looking at numbers and you're missing the impact on the people and the customers and the market, then you're missing the bigger picture, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think a, person, a CFO or a finance director who, who only looks at numbers, hopefully not too, people, not too many people are going to be offended by what I say, um, are probably heads of finance as opposed to finance directors. So I'm very fortunate and incredibly lucky to have a great team who are expert at what they do. Mm. You know, they really know the numbers, mm. and especially in financial services, it can get quite complex in comparison to a non-financial services business, uh, who are really expert at what they do, technically brilliant. Mm. Um, and my job is to take their technical expertise and actually make them grow with it right. What does this mean from a broader business perspective? Mm. Um, and that's what I enjoy passionately. So does that enjoy, enable you to be more strategic in your thinking, more big picture, more...? Y yes, it does, but you can't be strategic every day. No. <laughs> so, so, so I think I am a... I would like to consider myself to be a strategic leader. Where is the business now? And whatever seeds we're planting now, what trees will they grow into in five or ten years' time? Mm. So that kind of thinking does happen often, but also... Um, I consider myself to be someone who just gets things done. So even from an operational perspective, being able to work with teams and, and, and lead colleagues into saying, right, what is it we're trying to achieve any given project? When are we going to do it by? What are the major milestones? What impact does it have on our customers, colleagues, profitability, balance sheet, etc.? Mm. There was a concept which was introduced a few years ago, which is a bit too simplistic in my opinion, but it was called triple bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it was people, planet, and profits. I think any good organisation right now would be using a number of lenses, but but those three lenses are a good start if you can. Yeah, and you've you've touched on a passion of mine really because um, you you said you wanted to work for large organisations because you think there are there are more opportunities. I also think that large organisations can have a massive influence on the planet and and on people's lives. And so I think there's a real responsibility in organisations to, to do more of that. And a lot of particularly younger people who are entrepreneurs that I speak to are, have absolutely set their businesses up in, in that way. I think some of the larger organisations need to catch up a bit more around that. Uh, potentially, I, I think so. I, I'm, I'm really quite proud of what we've, what we've done at Wesley and we, we have a, an ethos of we care. Um, and, and for me, it was we care for our customers, we care for our colleagues, and we care for the communities in which we operate. Mm. So having those, that kind of we care attitude, yes, we're a financially driven organization. Yes, we're here to make a positive return on our capital and a profit. But actually, it's more than just that. And large organizations, the impact they have on people, as you say, whether it be a young aspiring colleague who wants to work their way up in the organization, uh, and uh, or whether it be actually doing some charity work or some social work and allowing your colleagues to to fulfill that passion of theirs by giving them some uh, the opportunities to do that and use the expertise we have in the business so so for example i've had people who are entrepreneurs come to me um and say you know have you got any ideas about marketing well yes i have but actually i've got a director of marketing who's far more uh, educated and literate on this than I am, why don't I connect the two of you up? And I'm sure he would love to spend an hour or two hours with you to talk you through what he would do mm. with the business problem we have. 
that individual who's getting that free advice is is going to take that away hopefully have a, a decent impact on their business but also what it does is it it increases that community mm. and 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 openness for for us to just kind of help each other along um because if 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 someone is benefiting positively hopefully they have a positive impact on their neighbor and their neighbor and their neighbor mm. so i'm a big believer in goodwill multiplies uh, absolutely massively. yeah and i and i do like you i think that large organizations can have a, a big influence in the world in in that way and um, changing tax slightly you, we've talked about you being a CFO. You also have an ethnic background. Can you tell us a bit about what it's like to be a CFO with a, an ethnic background? It, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think my mind has changed quite a lot in the past couple of years. And I think, so I've been CFO for nearly five years now. And I think up to a couple of years ago, I was CFO and I was, it didn't matter. And even throughout my career, it, it whilst I might have experienced uh, very frequently and, and definitely felt like a different person, an ethnic person in the room, you, you, you bury it, you suppress it. And certainly I was CFO, that's it. And if I'm talking to someone who happens to be white, black, brown, uh, gay, lesbian, religious, non-religious, it didn't matter to me, businesses are what counts. Um, but actually in the past couple of years and, and, and definitely more recently uh, with, with global events, I have started to use my ethnicity a lot more and started speaking out a lot more actually that microaggressions, inclusion, um, explaining to my colleagues what it means to be different and how I might have felt in the past but perhaps haven't explicitly stated it so that they may benefit from their experience and be mind more mindful of their own subconscious behaviors is something that I've really tried to embrace and, and open and open up a lot more with um, what led to that I, I met um, a, a young gentleman who, who, who approached me for mentoring uh, a, a black gentleman who worked uh, in security but wanted to set up his own business and the amount of abuse he had received in his uh, employment was shocking and I have someone who I think I've received abuse but actually it was mild in comparison to what he what he uh, uh, suffered so it, it, his first question when he met me how have you got to where you are being the color you are and, and that was like, what? Then don't you want to say hello? Do you want a cup of tea? You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> it, 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 there, it's quite was no, a shocking there, start to a conversation. There was no, it? there was no kind of informal getting to know you. It was like, hi, how are you doing? How have you got to where you are? Being the colour you are, but that unfortunately is how many people from an ethnic background do 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 feel. Um, and for for me, I've also now do a lot of talking at uh, academic places like universities and college, and I can guarantee I always get that question. Mm. So. It means more to me now than it has in the past, so I embrace my ethnicity. I don't leave it at home, which is what I probably did until a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and I'm happy to be an ethnic role model. And in fact, um, someone in HR um, told me a couple of years ago that uh, a member of our teams, and I don't know who, joined Wesleyan because they saw me speak at an event and said, 
there's an organization that embraces diversity and you can uh, make your way to the top. And I really want to join that organization. Mm. And I had no idea I had that mm. impact on people. I genuinely had none. It's powerful, isn't it? Because you're, you are a role model for other Asian people. And the first time I became an exec, um, uh, I remember when I was appointed as an executive member and there was a Christmas party and, and this um, a, a, an ethnic gentleman um, in, of Indian background came up to me and said, you've done it for us. You know, you've done it. You're the first one to make it to an exec position uh, and you're not white. And, and in my head, I was going, I really don't care. I, I haven't done it for you. Actually, I've done it for my wife and children <laughs> um, and, and for me, really. Um, but it was so profound that that's the thing he wanted to congratulate me on. People really um, celebrated the fact that actually this was someone who was different, who looked different. And, and again, my eyes have been opened. You know, people make statements to me like, I can't be what I can't see. Um, and um, I, I recently wrote a blog internally for internal Wesleyan purposes only about my own experiences of being an ethnic background, perhaps racial experiences and, and discrimination that I think I've suffered from. Uh, and it really allowed people to open up and mm. people were approaching me and telling me their tales and their stories of how they've suffered in silence. And I thought, wow, I, I, I think I've done quite a lot and the organization has done quite a lot, but actually, like most organizations, I think we can do a lot more. Well, I think every organization can, can't they? And, and what I'm hearing then is that you've achieved against the odds because the odds of becoming a CFO when you're Asian five years ago were, were pretty low. So you've achieved against the odds. And now I hear that you're turning your attention to how do I, how do I lift other people up and how do I be that role model and actually embrace being that role model for the next generation or even the ones who are five years behind you? How do, how do you lift everybody up? Um, oh, there's, there's so many. There's so many ways to answer that question. It's interesting. So in, in business, we make very complex decisions and we get very precise-ish answers. So someone says, I want to buy a building and you go, okay, what are the pros and cons of buying that building? What's the impact on profit going to be? How do we improve it? And, and because we're ideally, you know, consider ourselves to be brilliant problem solvers, how do we, how do we promote ethnicity and diversity? And it's a very complex problem. And I think the solution uh, is, is multifaceted. Mm. So for me, internally in an organization, I think from having, uh, and a lot of organizations are doing, the, doing this, sponsorship of the diversity agenda from the very top of the organization is required. Mm. I don't think it should be abdicated to, to a middle manager with respect to middle managers. It needs to come from the top. Ideally for me, in my opinion, uh, the chief exec officer who very regularly talks about um, diversity and inclusion and actually celebrates it as well. So I know an organization who I won't name, but I know for a fact that they, because my, my, uh, a relative of mine works there, that when it comes to Chinese New Year, a little email comes out. It's the Chinese New Year and it's the year of the dragon or whatever and it has a little little couple of paragraphs yeah. celebrating what it was yeah. or when Passover occurs or when Eid occurs just just a few paragraphs on an email from the very top of the organization saying those who are celebrating we wish you the very best um, 
and all it sometimes all it takes is those little little moments mm. which make people feel like, oh wow, I'm uh, it's like me for example, I'm a practicing Muslim and I observe Ramadan and it's not really something I talk about. How does it affect me and my work? And and actually to have from the top someone saying, I'm observing Ramadan, I'm fasting, I'm going without food and drink during daylight hours. Uh, this is what it means to me. And I think it's astonishing that you don't talk about it because actually, I don't think I've ever I, been invited to. Well, no, no, and I understand that. And but I think you know, if I were to fast, I mean, I'm I'm such a foodie, so <laughs> so am I. <laughs> so the idea of fasting for me is just like, oh, I just don't think I could do it, um, and I've never tried. So um, there's a, maybe there's a challenge. But but the idea of fasting for a, a long period of time, um, I I know that I would um, like feel faint, that I would be constantly starving. I wouldn't want to think about my work. I'd just be constantly thinking about food, and 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 I know you know I know from a couple of people that I know who've who've gone through Ramadan. Some find it okay, and others find it absolute torture yeah. and. You know, and I know there's a lot of soul searching that goes with it as well. And um, and I just think you're carrying on doing your job as normal with this major kind of annual event going on in your life. It's it's astonishing, really, that that um, you know, as a as a white person, and and with I don't know, it, it based in the UK where we're not even taught, we don't even talk about it, that we just let people get on with it without even considering. Not only are you just doing your job as well as you would normally do, you've got this other major life event going but, on. But my motivation for doing Ramadan is to, is to not let my job be affected. So I'm one of the fortunate ones who finds it okay. I, 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 I don't suffer, I, I don't get thirsty, I don't get hungry, it's fine. Um, and actually I enjoy it. I, I really do enjoy it. Probably because, as you said, there's a lot of soul searching going on. But but my my efforts during Ramadan is a good Ramadan for me. It's for my colleagues to not even notice because I'm doing my job as well as 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 well as I've ever done, and I don't want anyone to even consider he's observing Ramadan and therefore he made a mistake or he's not at his usual best or whatever. It's just not going to happen. So my efforts will be are probably stronger than ever. But I've never been invited to talk about it. I've, I don't talk, I've talked about it for probably 60 seconds. Hey, I'm observing Ramadan, I'm fasting, and people go, oh, okay, how's it going? Yeah, all right. And you crack on. Um, but have I really had an in-depth conversation about what it means to me? It's a major life event, as you say, that happens annually. Um, no, I haven't. And, and maybe I do need to talk about it more mm. in reflection and maybe invite others. I talk about it with other people who are observing Ramadan because there's a natural kinship mm -hmm. um, but with people who aren't sorry to say but no I haven't mm -hmm. so what is it like to keep everything running and not make mistakes it's hard <laughs> it's hard I prepare for Ramadan the only thing I do in preparation for Ramadan is a couple of weeks before I start I gave up tea and coffee because um, the only thing I I, uh, I do miss doing Ramadan is, is the caffeine. So I wean myself off caffeine a couple of weeks before Ramadan. Um, and then I, the, then I skip lunch in a couple of weeks, just, just getting my body used to it. But in terms of um, the actual work, it, it's, it's stay focused. 
to keep concentrating, stay focused. Don't don't let your work suffer, um, and 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 do not do not whatever you do, do not let it be an excuse. I, I'm reflecting while I'm talking. Would it would it be nice for someone to have said to me in the past, look, it's Ramadan, you work incredibly hard at your skin for eleven months of the year, chill out, give yourself a break, don't worry about it, no one's judging you. Maybe that would have been nice to hear. Mm. Um, I don't know. I need to think about it a bit mm. more. But it's it doesn't matter. I've just cracked on. Mm. And in terms of you saying, going back to your earlier point about me being a CFO who's broken through barriers, maybe I, I I've, I've always let my work do the talking. I, I think and I know you hear stats about people saying people have to work doubly hard to get themselves noticed if they're from a minority background, female or, or, or ethnic. Um, I've always relied on my work being the best possible work it can be. Do I think I've worked harder than uh, other colleagues? Yeah, probably. But it wasn't because I was ethnic and therefore had to work hard. It was because because I love my job. Mm. It, it is genuinely the thing I love most apart from my kids and my wife. Mm. It, it, that's what I love doing. So, and I think and I've always let my work do the talking for me. And I think therein lies the the rub for me because. You know, I, I as a as a woman, I I joined IBM in the 1990s, and I was one of about six women in an office of 1,500 men, and I just thought that was normal. And so I learned to behave and conform to the office environment, and it was only years later, as the organisation became more balanced in in gender, that I started to realise how much of myself I'd suppressed and squashed. Correct. Correct. Because in order to conform, Correct. to get on. Absolutely. And what's the point of diversity if once you have it, you don't do anything with it? Yeah. So so I'm a big believer in targets, for example. So and a lot of organizations are making really good statements about we want this level of representation of gender at the senior level or ethnicity. I think it's fantastic, but it can't stop there. Mm-hmm. Once you've got it, how do you embrace that difference? How do you enable cultural learning um, throughout the organization and celebrate the differences. Mm. You know, how, let's take the Me Too movement, for example. Um, that happened a couple of years ago. It was profound. And I think a lot of female colleagues might have reflected on that internally and thought about their own um, inappropriate moments that they had suffered. And I'm fairly sure that a lot of women have. And, and I know certainly back in the 80s and 90s, some of the stories I've heard, I mean, I remember a colleague telling me, Back in the 70s, she fell pregnant and she knew it was a given she was going to have to leave work. And that was considered normal. Mm-hmm. So we, we have come a long way, but we've got a lot of work, long way to go. Did I go to my female senior colleagues during the Me Too movement and say, hey, what, what does this mean to you? What should we be doing as an organization to really promote uh, you know, gender diversity and what it means to be a woman working in, you know, as you said, six women amongst 1,500 what does that mean? What are the microaggressions you experienced every day? What do we need to change to make this a more inclusive workplace? I don't think I did. And to my regret, I should have done more. Well, um, it's never too late. It's, <laughs> no, no, absolutely, it's never too late. But that's the point. So having diversity, to, to my point, actually is a great step. It's how do you then make it more inclusive? Mm. How, how do you embrace people's perspectives from their vantage point? And I think a lot of organisations and individuals can learn a lot from that by having that kind of mindset, me included. Well, and I think it is about um, seeking to understand, isn't it? Because I think 
the, in, in the past, a lot of diversity programs have been let's set targets, let's let's work towards them, but then you never actually change the level of understanding. You know, shame on me, I don't know enough about Ramadan. I know a little bit because of friends that I have, but I've never spent time really digging into asking people what their experience is. And, and I think there's... Certainly, I have a lot more desire to want to understand what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes and much more appreciation that it is vastly different from mine. And I think there's two two things for me then, what you've just said. Firstly, exposing your vulnerabilities and saying, hey, I don't understand, is, is definitely a first step that anyone can take. And secondly, uh, not have a fear of offending. Mm. So one of the things that struck me was when um, during Ramadan, especially just in the past Ramadan, a, a colleague of mine said, you know what, I really didn't ask you about Ramadan because I didn't want to offend you. I was like, mate, how are you going to possibly going to offend me? You're a good person. You've got good intentions. Uh, don't say anything silly. Just ask me about Ramadan. Don't worry about it. You're exposing your vulnerabilities that you don't know anything about it. But you're also you have, you're, you're showing a desire to learn. That's great. Nothing will offend me. Um, so I think there's a there's a sensitivity uh, that we need to get over. People need to be comfortable being uncomfortable, uh, which is a bit of a tagline, but I think it's really important. And just just celebrate differences. I mean, I've never met a colleague who's approached the right way, offended about talking about themselves or what they experience. Mm. I don't think in the right sensitive way well and i think also it's about having the humility to get it wrong and to yeah. be okay with saying the wrong thing and being called out on it absolutely and i think you know until until white people predominantly it's white people until white people are comfortable being uncomfortable and recognizing that they might ask the wrong question and that somebody might educate them and put them in their place on it we need to have that humility to 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 be okay with all of that i agree I, I, absolutely and um I, i'm i'm trying to think back in my 20 plus odd years if if someone asked me a a question with good intent which came out the wrong way and i don't think it ever has there's lots of things that were that came out the wrong way which were intended to be wrong <laughs> but what i'm saying is what has come out with a good intention but came out the wrong way no People are just inquisitive, you know, the tone, the language, the, the, the way you approach the question, the sincerity in your body language, all of that level of communication will show the person who's been asked a question, hey, there's just nothing here but a genuine sincerity to learn, and potentially the person is um, exposing their own vulnerabilities, as I say. Mm. So, thinking forward to the future, what what changes do you think we need to make in in the workplace how do, how do we need to lead yeah i think this is the point we were talking on earlier so i, I do think that uh, leadership from the top about embracing differences and embracing diversity is really important and uh, but and, and, and targets can potentially help that help that uh, but I, I stress my point earlier having targets on its own doesn't increase diversity is what do you do with the diversity once you have it and this won't happen overnight and, and I think as leaders there's a few things we need to do so sponsorship from the top you know the, the, the classic unconscious bias training you know be taking 
I know at Wesleyan we've asked every single employee to go through unconscious bias training and it's about things that you didn't even know you were doing. It's a subtle, mm. the subtle things, the microaggressions, um, making people more aware of what they might do. And actually just, just asking people to think more broadly about not just what people are, somebody who's an engineer or a computer scientist or an accountant, but who they are as well, because that's equally important. We are not just what we bring to the office, but who we are as people. Uh, and thirdly as well, I, I would say, um, you know, talent isn't suddenly going to arrive overnight from a diverse background, female or, or, or ethnic. It needs to have sponsorship over the medium term. So I personally really enjoy, as an ethnic, as an ethnic minority leader, going to colleges and universities, and it's not onerous, once a quarter, it takes me an hour, and just talking about my career journey, and really trying to inspire a room full of kids, um, many of whom are from diverse backgrounds, and actually working class backgrounds as well, I think that's really important, and, and um, not just people who are of, of colour, but actually people who are of non-colour, or white colour as well, who are actually from poorer demographics, we need to show them, hey, I'm from a working class background, um, this is what my journey felt like, this is how I got to where I've got to, and I've always had the ideal that if you go talk to a room of 50 kids and only one person is inspired by it and that person goes on and takes something from that, mm -hmm. um, then you know what, amazing. Uh, someone asked me, how did you get in touch with a college and, and go and speak to them? I went, well I looked at a website, found a telephone number, rang them up and said, hey my name is Ahmed Farouk, I'm the CEO of Wesleyan. Um, can I come to your school and college and just talk to you about it? Schools and college are always wanting people to inspire. And, and you know, what you're sparking for me is that also you're a role model without even realising it. So uh, you don't know who has heard you speak or seen you speak that has not come and told you, but that has sparked and sparked something and changed the course of their, of their life. I, and the reason why I tell you that is that I'm doing the work that I'm doing today because 12 years ago, uh, when I was still at IBM, I was, uh, I was invited to go to a conference as a, as a delegate to a conference um, that was an international women's conference. And it was uh, people from all over the world. There were 500 women in the room. I had never seen 500 women in a room before. So I sat there going, wow. And I mean, they had just the most incredible speakers and professors of this, that and the other and people on boards of construction industries. And I'm sat there going, wow, where have all these role models been for me? Um, and, you know, and I, I was relatively senior in my, in my career, but even so, there were people that were ahead of me that I was thinking, where have you been? Um, but the, the thing that sparked me, my interest the most was a woman who uh, grew up in a remote village in the Philippines decided that they had all these different colours of earth and um, plants and things. And she decided to use, you know, the stringy bit inside a banana. Yeah. She um, dried the, the stringy bits out, um, dyed them with different plants to make different colours and turned them into shawls and sold them all over the world. And wow. then she... And then she built a factory in this remote village. And everybody said, you can't build it in the remote village. You've got to build it in some big town. She said, no, I'm building it here because then I can transform the lives of the community. And I sat there thinking, 
I want to transform the lives of a community. And it's because of that that I then changed what I was doing in, in IBM and I stayed for another three years, but I changed the role that I was doing so that it was about transforming the community. And then of course then came on, you know, went on to, to just decide that there was a, a different way that I could impact and leave a legacy in the world by touching different people's lives in a different way, in a much bigger way. This woman in the Philippines has no idea that that was a pivotal moment for me in my life. And I think there's, I think hearing you speak, my guess is that there are thousands of people that, that you've touched. And, but I, well, no, but I, I, I know that you hear people speak and it touches you and it moves you in some way and, and the course of your life changes. Um, and, and so I guess what I'm saying is for you to do more in that way, but to encourage other people that role models for, for the youth of today is so important. Massively. And, and, and for me, and I, I, different people have different experiences. I mean, I was really, really fascinated recently when uh, an Eastern European lady uh, approached me after my, at Wesley and internally, uh, with, the, with the blog I published internally. And, and it's not something that with my own biases I had even really considered. And she said, actually, I found your blog really inspiring. And I suffered from something similar because actually when I go to, when I meet people, um, I, I get a great body language, great tone, great enthusiasm. And then I open her words, I open my mouth and speak. And then out comes the accent and suddenly everything changes. And I thought, wow, you know, so here's a person who's white, uh, but clearly suffering from discrimination mm. um, in, in, hopefully not a Wesleyan, but in other workplaces, mm. which is something that I've not really thought of before. Um, so you do touch people, you do get people to open up. And in terms of young people, I remember that there was an Eastern European lady who, I was talking to a room of 30 odd kids, and there was a young Eastern European lady, and I could tell by the way she was sat and the intent with which she was listening, how she was really taking the lessons that I'd learned. And she was the one person who approached me afterwards and had a chat. And I could, and I've never met her, I've never spoke to her since, but I just knew, you know what, this person with that desire that, um, you could, I could really feel like mm. just her passion to, to really succeed in life. Um, and she, she had me for about 30 minutes asking me all sorts of questions and fingers crossed she's going to go and do something amazing. I'm confident of it. But yeah, I, you know, I had no intention of going in and having that kind of an impact on someone. Mm. But it does. Um, young people do need role models. My own experience, um, what, what concerns me particularly about uh, Muslim people is, um, and certainly happened in my lifetime, is how I suddenly was a very Muslim after 9-11. So, so, so pre-9-11, I was Asian, and the unfortunate P word, which you might get called a lot out in the society and whatever. Post-9-11, I was Muslim. And for me, the whether it's social media or tabloid press or events that, you know, unfortunate events that happen in the name of faith, clearly are not, cannot mm. be in the name of faith, mm. but that's what people are hijacking. Mm. Um, and then 1.6 billion people get tarred with the same brush. There's a real stigma. And I think we need a lot of Muslim role models as well in society mm. because of the broader spectrum. You know, when you have 
people like the most powerful man on the planet saying, I want to burn Muslims coming into my country mm. or stuff like that. It, it, it's bound to have an effect mm. on someone who's 16 mm. is listening to that and going, well, I'm Muslim, I'm being stigmatized, I'm being stereotyped. Mm. I actually, what I want to do is provide for my family and kids and grow up and be really successful. Mm. Um, so that judgmental behavior that's happening on a very frequent basis it is something that really concerns me, which is why we need to really embrace our youth and give them diverse role models. Ahmed, it's been amazing to talk to you. We could talk all day, I reckon, but uh, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, you've made me reflect a bit more as well. Thank you. Ahmed is such an inspiration and a great role model for future generations. His blend of attention to detail and nurturing others demonstrates his range as a CFO and the ability to bring out the best in others. I'm always talking about expanding our range because the more well-rounded we are as leaders, the more effective we can be in different situations. Perhaps that's the key to embracing difference too. The more we stretch into new ranges, the more we can acknowledge it in others. Where do you need to expand your range as a leader? How can you embrace diversity in the workplace more? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week... Keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. 